0: Hello, everybody, and welcome into the Bible Reading Podcast, episode number 247. Today's Big Bible Question, why do we have denominations and how dangerous are denominations? Plus, answering Catholic charges of schism and disunity. So, happy Lord's Day, dear friends. You know what? This may have been a rough week for you, one that has been filled with trial upon trial or heartache upon frustration, or it may have been a good week. Regardless, this is the day that we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus and his defeat of death and the glorious good news. This day we celebrate like no other. This is the day the Lord has made, so let us rejoice and be glad in it. You know what? This is probably the worst it gets. This is probably as bad as it gets. Don't despair. Look to the heavens and await the return of the King. His return is as sure as the dawn. So let's celebrate the wonders of the victory of Jesus today. Now, as usual on Sundays, please allow me to invite you to join us at 11 a.m. Pacific or afterwards, if you can't make it at that time, on Facebook at our live streamed gathering today All you got to do is search for VBC Salinas. That's VBC Salinas. That's our page on Facebook. You can like it there. And we usually broadcast two or three live streams per week. And this Sunday, we are talking about being the church at the end of the world. Are we at the end of the world? You know what? I doubt it. But at least we are to live and act and minister and watch alertly like the end times church because we just might be. Today... We are reading 1 Samuel 23, Ezekiel 2, Psalm 38, and 1 Corinthians 4. No focus passage today because we're actually continuing our discussion from yesterday because it got kind of long. Why do we have so many denominations? So on the episode yesterday, episode 246, and you can find a link to that at our uh, website, BibleReadingPodcast.com, we interacted with a great article on denominations by a Catholic writer named Scott Ault, that ended by charging, eh, in a pretty nice way, Protestant churches with causing disunity in the body of Christ by breaking off from the one true church, which was, of course, in the writer's mind, the Roman Catholic Church. And you know what? It's not only Catholics that wonder about this issue. Many skeptics of the church, and actually many people in the church alike, wonder why there's so much disunity in Christianity in so many denominations. After all, like we discussed yesterday, Jesus in John 17 prayed that his followers would have the same unity and oneness that he and his Father have. And further, Jesus noted, noted that lost people would know that he was sent by the Father to the degree that the church was in unity. Well, surely this lack of unity in individuals and churches and in groups today is one thing that constrains the witness of the church in modern times. Me personally, my life has been interesting, let's say, in terms of denominations. Now, as a kid, having no say in what church we went to, my family started out Methodist. Then we went PC, Presbyterian Church USA, which is a pretty liberal wing of the Presbyterian Church. Then we went Presbyterian Church of America. In fact, we were at one of the founding PCA churches, Briarwood Briarwood Presbyterian in Birmingham, Alabama. Then we went Southern Baptist. Now that's a pretty good variety, but for much of that time, my dad was good friends with a very godly, charismatic man who also helped coach uh, several of our baseball teams, and we would attend charismatic churches and revival meetings with that gentleman. Sometimes also, there was uh, a few times my dad took me to African American churches. So suffice to say, I was not raised in a very denominationally loyal household. My ministry career has been kind of similar, honestly, and my first ministry role was as a part-time youth minister in a Baptist church, the one I went to in high school and college. After that, even though I was in a Southern Baptist church when my wife and I first got married, so was she, I was uh, I was licensed to minister at that church, and I graduated from and taught and worked at a Baptist seminary, My first full-time ministry job was actually in a Methodist church. And the reason for that was my wife was teaching in our city. We didn't feel called to move. And, you know, the Methodist Church was the only one in our area that uh, wanted to take a chance on your boy here. So after that, I worked as a church planner with the Christian and Missionary Alliance. I served in two non-denominational churches, actually maybe three, uh, one of which I served there for seven years and then served for over 10 years as the senior pastor of, of a lovely Southern Baptist church in Pinson, Alabama. I'm now serving a uh, same role as a, in a Southern Baptist church in California as well, and have been here for a little over two years. Now, in my role at, at that church, as in a Baptist church, I meet weekly with a group of Baptist pastors in our association, which stretches for around a 100 or so miles from here, and also with a varied group of Salinas, California pastors, honestly from all sorts of denominational backgrounds and uh, ethnic backgrounds, too. In that group, we've developed, especially in the pandemic times, we're developing a really nice and awesome and beautiful unity and love for each other that seems to be growing. Now, because of my life and background and friends in multiple denominations and such, I don't hate denominations. I don't see them as fully separating of Christians as others do, because it's never been a separation for me. I've always been able to have good friends in other denominations. It just matters that they're following Jesus and they believe the word. But I also recognize and lament that denominations are very far from the oneness that Jesus prayed for in John 17. Yes, I see the fracturing in the body of Christ, and it's grievous. Now, many Catholics, like our friend Scott from yesterday, uh, believe they are part of the one true church and that all other churches have schismed or separated from the one true church, the Roman Catholic Church. Some still view Protestants as genuine followers or followers of Jesus, at least some Protestants. Others pretty much don't. And to be fair, some Protestants believe that Catholics can be Christians and uh, other Protestants don't believe that. And back in the day, during the uh, times of the Protestant Reformation, when all these people were killing each other and stuff... Uh, there was a quite a quite a bit less um, peaceful agreement between Roman Catholics and Protestants. Now, I am not going to write a full throated defense today of Protestant churches in the Pro- Protestant Reformation. Nor am I going to fire off a polemic against Catholicism. You know that's not my job. But I will say a few sentences. According to church history, it does not appear that the church became Roman Catholic in the first two centuries after Jesus. I see nothing of distinctive Roman Catholic theology or ecclesiology or practice in the Book of Acts, for instance, and not fully developed Roman Catholic Church. Uh, I, I I don't see a fully developed Roman Catholic Church until, I don't know, the late 200s or 300s. So this means that the Roman Catholic Church was not the original church. The church at Jerusalem was. The Jerusalem church and the Antioch church and all of the Bible churches related to those, including very possibly the Ethiopian church and uh, the churches around Asia Minor in that area, they didn't have popes. There wasn't a strict dividing line between priests and the laity. They didn't pray to Mary. They didn't have confession to priests, there were no cardinals nor a strict hierarchy of leadership. There were no cathedrals or fancy dresses by the leadings of, of the gatherings, the leaders of the gatherings, or many of the other things associated with today's Catholic Church. In this, I see that the Catholic Church is not the one and only true church, but an offshoot of the original churches that were founded in the book of Acts, in many ways radically different and in some ways striving to be the same. Now, before you Catholics get too upset with me, I find the same thing for the Protestant Church, for the record. I don't see the Southern Baptist Church's existing, you know, the landmark kind of theory, existing since the first century. I see that the Church of today, even the Southern Baptist Church of, the, of today, even the Church I pastor of today, we do some things quite different from the Church in the book of Acts. And uh, I I hope some of that is okay, because some of that There seems to be quite a bit of liberty in the New Testament. Our message can't change, but our methods can apparently change. Now, I note our Catholic friend Scott from yesterday states that he is a third-degree knight of Columbus and a a Benedictine oblate of St. Minrad Arch Abbey. Not sure what all that means. I consider memberships in those orders to be akin in many ways to membership in a denominational or even a non-denominational church. I might be a Baptist, but that doesn't save me, nor does it define my ultimately le- allegiance, nor does it separate me from the universal church. I trust in Jesus and Jesus alone to save me from my sins. In the same way that Paul and Apollos were nothing, see 1 Corinthians 3 from yesterday, Baptists, Presbyterians, etc., are also nothing. Now, I hope our friend Scott can say the same thing. He's a member of the Knights of Columbus and the Roman Catholic Church and the Benedictine Oblate of St. Minrad Arch Abbey. Those three things seem to me no different whatsoever than a denomination. And those three things won't save Scott. Only faith in Jesus and his death in our place on the cross and his glorious resurrection will. If Scott trusts in Jesus and Jesus alone in faith to save him from his sins and God is following him, then that will save him. Without that, nothing will save him. With that, being a member of the Knights of Columbus or whatever, this Benedictine oblate of St. Minrad Archabbey will not separate him from the love of Christ. What will separate us from the love of Christ in Christ Jesus, says Paul, nothing will. In my mind, denominations are of nominal importance. Now, look, I value theology. I have strongly impassioned beliefs, but uh, I'm not saved by the Baptist church. I believe in what the Word of God says. So in my mind, denominations are of nominal importance. And again, I get that from our reading yesterday in 1 Corinthians uh, 3, verse 5 and- through 7, which says, what is Apollos? What is Paul? They are servants through whom you believed, and each has the role the Lord has given. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. God gave the growth. So then neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. Now look, can I say it this way? What then are Baptists? What are Presbyterians? What are Calvary Chapelists? That's probably not the right term, but you know what I mean. We might say, they are servants through whom you believed, and each has the role the Lord has given, but neither are anything but only God who gives the growth. So why are there so many denominations? Let's ask some friends, including David Martin Lloyd-Jones, who says, We must never allow traditionalism to govern us. That does not mean that we despise the past. Of course not. Let's learn from it, but let us not become slaves to the past. Thank God for every good custom and tradition, but the moment I worship tradition, I am in a dangerous state. We must be guided by the truth of the New Testament and not governed by tradition. Amen, Dr. Lloyd-Jones. However old and venerable it may be. This tendency is obvious in the life of the church today, amid all the talk about union and ecumenis, ecumenicity. Why are there so many denominations? The answer is that they are held by tradition and nothing else. They are agreed about doctrine or the irrelevance of doctrine, and the same temptation can befall those of us who are evangelicals. We must be aware of, be, we must beware of traditions that do not really belong to the vitals and essentials of the Christian life, but are the mere accidents of history or of circumstances. Excellent. Timothy Keller says, Churches are very different from other churches because the gift mix in one church can be very, very different than the gift mix in the church right across the street. It's one of the reasons you have this amazing diversity in the Christian church. It's really one of the reasons people are saying, why is the Christian church so different? Why are there so many denominations, so many churches? Why, why, why? This, the diversity of gifts in the church, is one of the reasons, says Keller. Another reason, says Keller, is sin. But this diversity of gifts is one of the reasons. I completely agree with him. Some of the reasons why we have disunity and denominations in the church is because of sin and disagreement and things like that. And some of the reasons are actually good reasons because God has, di- has, has divisioned the church of Jesus in precisely the way he wants it to be. Set up strategically. Uh, Mr. Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon, says this. It is the want of resolve that makes so many denominations in the world today. Most professors never look in the Bible to see what is right and what is wrong. Their father and mother went to a certain place of worship, so they go to it too. They saw things in a certain light and their children do the same, but they never search the scriptures to see whether these things are true or not. I'm afraid there are many Christians and some ministers too who would be afraid to search the scriptures lest they should learn too much from them. We should soon end all the divisions in the church of Christ if we took this blessed book only the Bible, no book of prayer, no book of sermons, no book of devotions, and no catechism as our rule of life, nothing but this book, and opened it saying, Lord speak, for thy servant heareth. Whatever you have to say to me, here I am waiting to know and do your will. Spurgeon says, I ask every Christian here whether he can honestly say that he has given up his mind to be molded by the Holy Spirit, whether upon questions that are in dispute among men he has fully search the scriptures and whether he is prepared at all costs to follow the truth wherever it leads him, for this is both the duty and the honor of the Christian, says Spurgeon. And you might be saying, well hang on, what he says is actually different from what Dr. Keller says. It sounds like Dr. Keller is saying one of the reasons why there's so many denominations is because of the difference in gifts. And some churches sort of serve different functions. And it sounds like Spurgeon is saying one of the reasons why There's so many denominations is because people don't read the Bible. And you know what? There is a difference of opinion there, except Keller also says sin is a problem. And Spurgeon, in a different sermon at a different time, says that he rejoices that there are so many denominations because it allows different truths different ways of proclaiming the same truth by different people with different methods. And by the way, none of that is contradictory. Yes, we have a sin problem in the church that has led to disunity, but we also have a beautiful variety in the body of Christ that is expressed by different ones of these churches who are Faithfully following Jesus and endeavoring to follow the truth. Is there a perfect denomination? Of course there's not. Is there a perfect teacher of the Word of God? There isn't. Please don't take my teaching and my words as gospel truth. You get in the Word and search it out. And I hope you do that with whatever denomination you're a part of, whether it's my denomination or another denomination. We should do exactly what Spurgeon says and get in the word and seek the truth there. Because the fact of the matter is I'm wrong about some things, so are you. And I know that because I know I'm not infallible and I know you're not infallible, but I know the word of God is infallible. So let's get in the word of God. Let's break down dividing walls and let's pray for Jesus to come back soon. And uh let's broadcast the good news of Jesus to a lost and dying world with the unity that we can have, because that is our mission. Amen. All right, let's read. We're going to start with 1 Samuel chapter 23, verse 1 in the Christian Standard Bible. It was reported to David, Look, the Philistines are fighting against Keilah and raiding the threshing floors. So David inquired of the Lord, should I launch an attack against these Philistines? And the Lord answered David, launch an attack against the Philistines and rescue Keilah. But David's men said to him, look, we're afraid of here, we're afraid here in Judah. How much more if we go to Keilah against the Philistine forces? Once again, David inquired of the Lord, and the Lord answered him, go at once to Keilah, for I will hand the philistines over to you then david and his men went to keilah fought against the philistines drove their livestock away and inflicted heavy losses on them so david rescued the inhabitants of keilah abiathar son of Ahimelech, fled to david at keilah and he brought an ephod with him when it was reported that to saul that david had gone to keilah he said god has handed him over to me for he has trapped himself by entering a town with barred gates then Saul summoned all the troops to go to war at Keilah and besieged David and his men. When David learned that Saul was plotting evil against him, he said to the priest Abiathar, "Bring the ephod." Then David said, "Lord God of Israel, your servant has reliable information that Saul intends to come to Keilah and destroy this town because of me. Will the citizens of Keilah hand me over to him? Will Saul come down? As your servant has heard, Lord God of Israel, please tell your servant." The Lord answered, "He will." Calm down. Then David asked, Will the citizens of Keilah hand me and my men over to Saul? They will, the Lord responded. So David and his men, numbering about six hundred, left Keilah at once and moved from place to place. When it was reported to Saul that David had escaped from Keilah, he called off the expedition. David then stayed in the wilderness strongholds and in the hill country of the wilderness of Zeph. Saul searched for him every day, but God did not hand David over to him. David was in the wilderness of Zeph in Horesh when he saw that Saul had come out to take his life. Then Saul's son Jonathan came to David in Horesh and encouraged him in his faith in God, saying, "'Don't be afraid, for my father Saul will never lay a hand on you. You yourself will be king over Israel, and I'll be your second in command.' Even my father Saul knows it is true. Then the two of them made a covenant in the Lord's presence and afterward David remained in Horesh while Jonathan went home. Some Zephites came up to Saul at Gibeah and said, isn't it true that David is hiding among us in the strongholds in Horesh on the hill of Hakila south of Jeshimon? So now whenever the king wants to come down, let him come down. As for us, we will be glad to hand him over to the king." May you be blessed by the Lord, replied Saul, for you've shown concern for me. Go and check again. Investigate where he goes and who has seen him there. They, they tell me he is extremely cunning. Investigating, investigate all the places where he hides. Then come back to me with accurate information and I'll go with you. If it turns out he really is in the region, I'll search for him among the, all the clans of Judah. So they went to Zephah's ahead of Saul. Now David and his men were in the wilderness near Maon in the Arabah south of Jeshimon, and Saul and his men went to look for him. When David was told about it, he went down to the rock and stayed in the wilderness of Maon. Saul heard of this and pursued David there. Saul went along one side of the mountain, and David and his men went along the other side. Even though David was hurrying to get away from Saul, Saul and his men were closing in on David and his men to capture them. Then a messenger came to Saul, saying, Come quickly, because the Philistines have raided the land. So Saul broke off his pursuit of David and went to engage the Philistines. Therefore, that place was named the Rock of Separation. From there, David went up and stayed in the strongholds of Engedi. Ezekiel Ezekiel 2, verse 1, He said to me, Son of man, stand up on your feet, and I will speak with you. As he spoke to me, The Spirit entered me and sat me on my feet, and I listened to the one who was speaking to me. He said to me, Son of man, I am sending you to the Israelites, to the rebellious pagans who have rebelled against me. The Israelites and their ancestors have transgressed against me to this day. The descendants are obstinate and hard-hearted. I am sending you to them, and you must say to them, this is what the Lord God says. Whether they listen or refuse to listen for they are a rebellious house, they will know that a prophet has been among them. But you, son of man, do not be afraid of them and do not be afraid of their words, even though briars and thorns are beside you and you live among scorpions. Don't be afraid of their words or discouraged by the look on their faces, for they are a rebellious house. Speak my words to them whether they listen or refuse to listen, for they are rebellious. And you, son of man, listen to what I tell you. Do not be rebellious like that rebellious house. Open your mouth and eat what I am giving you. So I looked and saw a hand reaching out to me, and there was a written scroll in it. When he unrolled it before me, it was written on the front and back. Words of lamentation, mourning, and and woe were written on it. Psalm chapter 38, verse 1. Lord, do not punish me in your anger, or discipline me in your wrath. For your arrows have sunk into me, and your hand has pressed down on me. There is no soundness in my body because of your indignation. There is no health in my bones because of my sin. For my iniquities have flooded over my head. They are a burden too heavy for me to bear. My wounds are foul and festering because of my foolishness. I am bent over and brought very low. All day long I go around in mourning, for my insides are full of burning pain, and there is no soundness in my body. I am faint and severely crushed. I groan because of the anguish of my heart. Lord, my every desire is in front of you. My sighing is not hidden from you. My heart races. My strength leaves me, and even the light of my eyes has faded." My loved ones and friends stand back from my affliction, and my relatives stand at a distance. Those who intend to kill me set traps, and those who want to harm me threaten to destroy me. They plot treachery all day long. I am like a deaf person I do not hear. I am like a speechless person who does not open his mouth. I am like a man who does not hear and has no arguments in his mouth. For I put my hope in you, Lord. You will answer me, O my Lord, my God, for I said, don't let them rejoice over me. Those who are arrogant towards me when I stumble, for I am about to fall and my pain is constantly with me. So I confess my iniquity. I am anxious because of my sin, but my enemies are vigorous and powerful. Many hate me for no reason. Those who repay evil for good attack me for pursuing good. Lord, do not abandon me. My God, do not be far from me. Hurry to help me, my Lord, my salvation. Amen. 1 Corinthians 4, verse 1. A person should think of us in this way, as servants of Christ and managers of the mysteries of God. In this regard, it is required that managers be found faithful. It is of little importance to me that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I don't even judge myself, for I am not conscious of anything against myself, but I am not justified by this. It is the Lord who judges me. So don't judge anything prematurely before the Lord comes who will both bring to light what is hidden in darkness and reveal the intentions of the hearts, and then praise will come to each one from God. Now, brothers and sisters, I have applied these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, so that you may learn from us the meaning of the saying, nothing beyond what is written. The purpose is that none of you will be arrogant, favoring one person over another. For who makes you so superior? What do you have that you didn't receive? If, in fact, you did receive it, why do you boast as if you hadn't received it? You are already full. You are already rich. You've begun to reign as kings without us, and I wish you did reign so that we can also reign with you. For I think God has displayed us, the apostles, in last place, like men condemned to die. We've become a spectacle in the world, both to angels and to people. We are fools for Christ, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong You are distinguished, but we are dishonored. Up to the present hour, we are both hungry and thirsty. We are poorly clothed, roughly treated, homeless. We labor, working with our own hands. When we are reviled, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure it. When we are slandered, we respond graciously. Even now, we are like the scum of the earth, like everyone's garbage. I'm not writing this to shame you, but to warn you as my dear children. For you may have countless instructors in Christ, but you don't have many fathers." For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. This is why I've sent Timothy to you. He is my dearly loved and faithful child in the Lord. He will remind you about my ways in Christ Jesus, just as I teach everywhere in every church. Now, some are arrogant as though I were not coming to you, but I will come to you soon if the Lord wills, and I will find out not the talk, but the power of those who are arrogant. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. What do you want? Should I come to you with a rod or in love and a spirit of gentleness? Lord, we want love and a spirit of gentleness. Thank you for listening today, friends. May the Lord direct your hearts into the steadfastness of Christ. Good day to you and Godspeed.